And thank you for joining us for Bigger Kids Praise. I love that, Jeremy. That is, that is great. Man, uh, you're going to have to copyright that. That's, that's good. Bigger Kids Praise. That's why, hey, that's why we are here uh, today. Thanks so much for joining us and for, for coming to be a part. For those of you who are watching online, we are grateful for you also being with us. We hope that everybody enjoyed getting what hopefully was an extra hour of sleep. Maybe you took advantage of that. And hopefully you are all feeling good, at least up until later on this afternoon when it gets dark at like, what, 4.30 or something like that. Uh, then you'll start feeling bad again. But hopefully right now you feel good, and we're so glad that you have come to be here and to share in this time. Already had an opportunity to, uh, to meet some different couples and families who have just moved to town. Uh, who are with us, and we're so grateful for you. We hope that your move to Chattanooga goes well, and uh, we are just so glad that you have been able to come and experience our worship today. Welcome back to some of the college students who are in this weekend. Great to see you guys with uh, family, and for those who are a part of our uh, young adult and college family and you're here all the time, hey, we're just glad that, uh, that you are here as well. Always good to see your smiling faces, and again, thanks so much, everybody, for being a part of Bigger Kids praise. Hey, for the last few weeks, we've tried to follow the advice that Paul gave in Colossians 3 and verse 2. And that advice is this, that we are to think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. And so we haven't been saying a whole lot about the pandemic, even though you guys are having to learn and adjust how to live with all the mask mandates and you're washing your hands and trying to keep socially distant from everybody. But We've tried, to, we've tried to let you just rest from that, at least when we come together. And we certainly haven't spoken about the election that dominates our conversations and news feeds. And some of you are like, praise God for that, because, I mean, we get it everywhere else, right? Every time you turn around, if you didn't know, there's an election coming up this week. And so we've focused our thoughts on heaven, but not in order to escape the real world. That's not it. And we haven't talked about heaven just so that we could tidy up some of those beliefs that we have about what takes place when all of this is over. Now, we've talked about the home for the soul because how we will live with God then should impact how we live for God now. It's why in the New Testament we're encouraged to develop a sacred obsession of heavenly-mindedness. We are to be thinking on heaven because heaven is shown to be perceived as real and relevant. And it's why Paul would tell Christians to live or to let heaven fill your thoughts. That's to be our focus. That is to be what we are going for. Now look, I know that I told you last week that today we were going to be jumping into some deep discussion about what Scripture refers to as new heaven and new earth. And I left some questions hanging in the air last week about exactly what was all going to take place. And I said, come on back. However, given the thoughts that, uh, and, or the way that many people are, have thoughts about the upcoming election on Tuesday, I thought it might be appropriate today to allow for the intersection of the here and the now with the yet to come. And some of you already are feeling anxious because you're thinking, oh no, we're going to talk about the election and we're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about how heaven is relevant for the real world. So hang with me. Set up on the edge of your seat a little bit. Punch the person that's next to you and say, hey, wake up. He might say something exciting. Listen to what C.S. Lewis observed. 
He said if you read history, you find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, he says, that they have become so ineffective in this. Now look, Lewis is describing individuals whose minds were occupied with heaven. And as a result, they lived out heavenly values. And because they lived out heavenly values, things actually changed. There was a tangible impact. You could see the relevance. They realized that the New Testament writers did not speak about heaven as some pie in the sky when we die by and by. It wasn't just to be some type of an escape mechanism. They saw heaven as real and relevant to their current situation. Something that could actually have current real life impact. It was true then, and I think it remains true today. Heaven and all that it holds and all that it represents provides for us a spark that can ignite change in our real world. So, stop me if you've heard this before. This is the most important election in our lifetime. You heard that? Right? Over and over and over again. And you know, it seems like that no matter what side of the political aisle that you fall on, the collective assumption is that the result of Tuesday's vote is going to fundamentally impact and change our nation. And who knows? All the shouting and run for the hills and my hair is on fire, all that rhetoric. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it'll all come to fruition. Or, or your side will win and you'll be like, what's the big deal? Everything is great and fine and dandy. Whatever happens in two days, we are being told today that life as we know it is at stake. And it seems like a lot of people are listening. Do you know that there are more than 80 million of your fellow citizens who have taken advantage of early voting opportunities? And, and maybe you've done the same thing. You already went out and you stood in line for two hours in order to beat the rush, right? And whether you just loved your candidate or hated somebody else's or you just wanted the opportunity to post one of those great I voted selfies, you engaged in a process that is a foundational pillar of our democratic republic. But you know, through all the political ads and the televised debates and all the rallies and all the talking points and the talking heads, I can't help but notice a disturbing trend. And it's nothing new to this election cycle. I mean, it happens every two, every, every four years or so. And, and maybe it's just the abundance of social media and the access that we have to it. But it just seems that this year, with this election, between these two presidential candidates, that the citizens of the kingdom of heaven are placing all of their faith in the leaders of the kingdom of America. When God used the prophet Jeremiah as his mouthpiece to foretell the coming demise of Judah, he said this, for my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can no longer hold water at all. You see, watertight wells littered the, the landscape of the Jewish nation of Judah. And the little rain that fell there in the arid countryside would be collected and it would be then there for use. 
And, and understand, it was disheartening to need some type of hydration and to wander up on one of these cisterns and to find that it had been broken or it had fallen into disrepair. You need water and there's nothing there for you to drink. And God told his people that they had gone looking for fresh water in broken wells. That they had abandoned him for something that they thought would sustain them and something that they thought would give them life. In chapter 3 and verse 13, Jeremiah said, Admit it, you have rebelled against the Lord by worshiping idols. The people of Judah had rebelled against God by seeking out worthless substitutes for their worship and for their provision. Now listen to what author Ed Stetzer writes when he talks about how that Christians seem to be trying to do the same thing. It's in his book, Christians in the Age of Outrage. He noted, We do something similar every day in this age of outrage. Our idols are not golden calves or carved statues. Idolatry is not tied to any specific idol. It exists whenever we look to someone or something in the world around us to save and to satisfy us. Just as every age has its own problems, each has a fresh cast of new idols it creates to solve them. And I believe, guys, that what we're witnessing right now, I think what we're witnessing right now in our country, it's a reminder that for many Christians, politics has become the new idol of choice. It is the broken cistern that the children of God turn to in order to find comfort and enact their worldview on society. You wonder if that's true? And think about this for a moment. Do you envision yourself as a U.S. citizen who espouses the Christian religion or as a disciple of Jesus who happens to live in the United States? I think most Christians would immediately respond that our first allegiance is undoubtedly to the kingdom of God, but our conversations and our debates, I believe, reveal a different story. It seems that our fundamental identity and the primary lens at which we go about making decisions and how we act in this world is all focused on the nation state. Listen to the questions that we debate and that our politicians debate. What should we do about poverty? What should we do about homelessness? What should we do about welfare? What should we do about the threat of terrorism? What should we do about COVID-19? What should we do about climate change? What should we do about abortion? And the we in these questions is most often viewed as the United States government. So we go and look for politicians who will enact our worldview. But what happens if we consider these questions seriously from a biblical viewpoint. For instance, what should we, as disciples of Jesus, do about homelessness? What should we, as the body of Christ, do about poverty and the plight of single mothers? What should we, as followers of the way, do about abortion? What should we do about the welfare of others, about race relations, about immigration, about COVID-19? Now, if as I ask that question, and if you're sitting there going, what can we do? Well, we can't do anything about that. It begins to show the shift that has taken place within your worldview, where you begin to look at all of the difficulties and problems that are going on around us and believe that the only answer to those is to have some type of government intervention. Does the Word of God incarnate in Jesus Christ have nothing to say about injustices and oppression of our world? Or are the people of God simply to accept the claim 
that the only appropriate response to injustice is to leverage the power of the government. You see, you would think that by listening to our arguments that Christians believe that the only way to make significant cultural change is to approach that change from the very top down. So what do we do? Well, we make a deal with the devil, believing that change will only occur when we place the right man or the right woman in the right position of power. And then we passionately flood social media with information about our candidate of choice and why everybody else needs to get on board. But Jesus taught and practiced quite a different way. He had a heavenly ethic. He had a heavenly ethos about him, a heavenly mindedness. And so he would look at his disciples and say, well, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it must be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. You see, Jesus did not call his disciples to take hold of empire and empire power, even though that's precisely what many of his followers wanted to do. They had it as a goal to gain the reins of command, use it on behalf of the people of God, do something for the good guys, do something for the righteous, enact justice. But instead, Jesus called them to take a totally different route. He called them to look at things from a totally different perspective, a radical change that could be brought about by the kingdom of God because of sacrifice and servanthood. See, Jesus expected, expected that the ethics of heaven, the idea that this world is not my home, that that ethic would empower his disciples while they lived here on earth, that a heavenly ethos would impact every corner of their life. But since the Reformation... Well, it has been just assumed that the church should worry about souls and allow the state to worry about bodies. And this mindset has resulted in a dramatic change of thought so that we, when we ask the, well, what do we do question, the assumption is that we as the government, because we have long been trained to think the church has no impact in society, no political significance. And so when faced with the major issues impacting our world, we crawl to the cistern of politics and we drink deeply. Drinking in the belief that if we will just vote for the right person, if we will just vote for the right group, that they will use their power in a way that will bring about the change that we desire in society. And friends, in doing so, we sacrifice the impact of the cross for the impact of a donkey or an elephant. As if God is no longer in control. And look, that sacrifice, that sacrifice has not only muted the influence of God's kingdom on this nation, but it has also allowed the Christian community to divide itself between red and blue. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that some Christians seem more interested in political loyalty than in brotherly love. It's as if Peter's advice to love one another deeply from the heart only applies to those who vote like I do. See, politics has become the new litmus test. It's the new litmus test of faithfulness among some Christian brethren, where they are able to decide who is with God based just upon a handful of issues, as if one party somehow has a monopoly on righteousness. Look, if your political party, if you view that party as never being wrong, then there's a problem. You see, the political system is not of heaven. 
It's of this world. And neither Republican or Democrat has God's overwhelming endorsement. Politics is a broken well belonging to this world. And as such, engagement within this system should be continually approached with a healthy dose of skepticism and a big heaping of humility. You say, Chris, all right, look, I hear what you're saying, but should we want to vote for a candidate who shares our values? Well, just think for a minute the way that you shape that question. Our values. My values, maybe, is how you've said it before. Oh, but we say, look, hey, my values are God's values. Really? Well, you say, I, I, I mean, it's because, it's because of God's values that I have the position that I do on abortion and immigration and welfare and climate change and the economy. It's all about God's values. If so, then, how is it that the people of God find themselves divided over God's values? It's because our political system fosters and encourages judgmentalism. It's why we put on Facebook statements like, no true Christian would vote for, and you fill in the blank. Or we say, no true Christian would oppose, and we put that in the blank. And so we argue with one another on social media. We shun one another at ball games. We view each other with suspicion at church. All because of what? One of us wants to reelect President Trump and another prefers to see what former Vice President Biden can do? And we're willing to tear down another brother or sister in Christ over those two men and their policies? Really? In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Timothy Keller says, when we center our lives on the idol, we become dependent on it. If our counterfeit God, he writes, is threatened in any way, our response is complete panic. And the truth of that statement is just seen by looking around at all the anxiety that this election is producing. If you are sitting here today and you are just all wrapped up and concerned about what's going to happen on Wednesday morning after the debate on Tuesday, then perhaps you've been drinking from an empty cistern. The anxiety that this election produces happens because we have placed all of our eggs in the basket of politics and believe that the leaders of men are where our faith should be. You say, but Chris, it's all about issues and character. It's about, it's about right versus wrong because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. By the way, that verse refers to Old Testament Israel, not the United States. But friends, no matter how much we baptize our politics in a thus saith the Lord, we cannot escape the truth that God does not have a nation. Our God has a kingdom. And my kingdom, Jesus said, is not of this world. It's not of this world. Jesus says it doesn't matter who wins on Tuesday. My kingdom will still be standing. 
It doesn't matter who has the presidency. It doesn't matter who has Congress. It doesn't matter who is in the Supreme Court. The kingdom of God will still prevail. And the men and women who are part of that kingdom should not be anxious. Guys, this Tuesday, someone is going to win. Someone's party is going to get more votes. Someone's party is going to get more seats. And afterwards, some of you are going to be happy. And some of you are going to be mad. Because it is true, elections have consequences. And you might be tempted to say that, you know what, everything would just be better if people would just vote like me. Maybe you have said that before. But before you say it again, would you step back from the broken well and consider that everything would be better if we would all just return to God's heavenly spring? Bill Tibbert says the history of the church through the ages has been the history of changes brought about in society through the church demonstrating and living an alternative vision of life. You know, after taking over control of Russia in 1917, the communists in their 1918 constitution actually made religion legal. It was. It was not illegal to have a church under communist rule. Now, what was illegal was for the church to serve the community. You see, they took away service and they said that from now on the state was responsible for feeding the poor and the state would educate the children and the state would take care of the elderly and the state would take care of the sick. The church was allowed to meet, but it was not allowed to serve. And what was the result? Well, after 70 years, the church in Russia became absolutely irrelevant to the people. Because the people in the kingdom of God were told to drink from a different well. Guys, I'm grateful to live in a country where I'm given the opportunity to participate in the democratic process. But listen clearly. The water of politics is an aphrodisiac that seduces individuals into thinking that political power is the only answer to the problems that plague our society. And that is a lie. Because the kingdom of God is here. Now look, I'm not saying that a Christian should not vote. Or I'm also not saying that the Christian should not run for office or should involve themselves in politics. Now there, there are those who feel strongly this way. David Lipscomb was one. And look, I'm not saying that you don't need to have passionately held views. What I am saying is this. Guys, don't abandon the fountain of living water. Don't go and dig a broken well and trade a heavenly kingdom for an earthly one. Don't have more passion for your politics than you do for evangelism. Don't talk more about a political figure than you do about your Savior. And don't throw away your responsibility as a kingdom representative to enact real change right here 
and right now. And friends, by all means, don't go worship at the altar of Trump or Biden because they are both too small. But go on and vote. Take your selfie. Post it on Facebook if you haven't already. But on election night, remember to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we long for the home for the soul. Because there are so many things here on this earth that divide us and make us anxious. And I know you would think that being able to enjoy the blessings that you have poured out on this nation that that is your people that we would that we would not allow the the kingdom of man, that we would not allow the systems of man to so easily divide us and separate us. Father, we are grateful for your loving kindness that you have poured out on this country, but we are mindful, Father, that you do not have a nation and that your blessings are poured out all around this world and that your kingdom is present across this globe. And so it is my prayer today that the men and women of the kingdom of God would rise up, not merely to cast a ballot, but, Father, to let the world know that your kingdom is present. Father, it's my prayer that we would place even, even more passion even greater passion than what we have for our political candidates, we would have even more to be able to talk about your son and to draw others to him, encouraging them to bow and declare that he is Lord for your honor and for your glory. Father, remove the anxiety that we feel because of the things that are going on around us. Allow us to see this political season and all the things that are a part of it as the empty well that it is. And Father, allow us, if we, have, if we have been drinking too deeply, would you allow this moment to be the opportunity where we realize that we need to step back and remember who truly is on the throne. Father, we... We praise you as our God, and we thank you that no matter what takes place this week or in the years to come, that you continue to reign and that your kingdom is eternal. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We're going to close out our time together with song and also with a, another prayer. We want you to know that if this is one of the first times that you've been with us, oftentimes after a lesson, there'll be a time of response where we encourage individuals to make it known if they have prayer requests or if they'd like to be baptized into Christ because they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
due to the COVID restrictions that we have in place currently, that's not something that we are, are doing. Instead, we want you to know that off our lobby is a room that it says prayer room, and one of our elders will be in that room after our worship time. And if you'd like to go and speak with them about anything that we've talked about today, anything that is on your heart causing you anxiety, you'd like to have a time of prayer or study, they'll be glad to speak with you at that time. Guys, we've got a lot of different ways to be the kingdom of God this week. On Tuesday, besides the election, there is an archery ministry that takes place here on our campus where we invite people from the community to come. and They learn archery, but they also, it's being taught from a biblical perspective. And if you think, how in the world could that happen? Just come and, and hang out with Kevin Lee a little while. And he would love to have you be able to, to meet different people of the community that come to be a part of that. We have our snack pack uh, time that's going to be this Wednesday. Be checking out emails and social media to be able to sign up for a time so that you can come and help pack these bags of food. There's a limited number that can come each hour, and it's a packing that's done all day long. And again, if you're going to um, if you're going to be voting, keep uh, keep everything at a, at a at a good perspective, and uh, participate in the process and put your selfie out there. But again, remember that uh, no matter no matter who wins. Uh, they are not going to be the answer to everything that is wrong in this country or in this world. And just continue to look for opportunities to speak about Christ, for he truly is the answer. Derek, let's close with song and prayer. Thanks so much for being here.